We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's the True Faith Newcastle United podcast. Alex says Charlotte Robson, Norman Riley, and Newcastle have been surprisingly, shockingly beaten. Beaten by Manchester United in reverse in first gear. They didn't even turn up when they've won the game. Three goals to one. Charlotte Robson, were there any positives? No, oh, straight in there. You know what? Alex um, and I were messaging during the match, and I was like, you know, this isn't bad. And 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 compared to some of the performances we've seen um, this season, uh, it wasn't bad compared to those. Um, and I was, you know, messaging a friend during and he was saying, this isn't like, I'm almost enjoying this about to, up to about the 60 minute mark. And then I think when their second went in, I was just like, oh no. And then, and then the third, and I was just, you know, I just felt so sad. A lot of people are angry. A lot of people are saying they don't feel anything, but I just felt like crying. So there were some positives. It was not a total, like, it's still really fresh, right? We're doing this just after the match is finished. So I'm still gathering myself it. But I don't think it was a dreadful performance. That's my positive. That's how bad things are. I also would like to pull a positive from Willock, who I think that penalty was soft and I don't think it should have been given. And he really did try and stop himself. If you watch it back, he did not want to clip Rashford, but he did. Um, So that was a shame for him because I think he had a good game and I think he is a really good addition to the side. So that's my positive. That's all I've got. Interesting. I agree with you on, on Willock. He is a positive. The problem I've got is I'm kind of getting sick of trying to agree to these supposed positives that we're being told are, you know, are there when we're just losing games. We're consistently losing games. So how many times can a manager come out or can pundits come out and say there's plenty of positives to take there when we're losing games? Like, it, it doesn't matter. Like, literally, the positives, the, the so-called positives don't matter because we're still losing games, you know, that's two wins in 14 games. It's seven points from 42 points available. You can They can see it as much as the one that we had a good 20-minute spell, a good half-an-hour spell. We're still losing. Man U barely even turned up, right? They played shockingly bad, which contributed to us looking better than what we probably would. And also, yes, there were, you know, there was a half-decent start of the game, 
But man, you barely even broke sweat, and this still won three one. And this is the this is the thing. Well, supposedly getting these positive out, uh, positives out of games where the opposition isn't necessarily playing well, we're supposedly playing well, yet we're still losing. So what happens when we play poorly? What happens in the games where there aren't any positives? I mean, we're losing the ones where there are. So I'm kind of starting to get slightly fed up with trying to hang on to these arguments that people are making for the being positives coming up because ultimately there aren't because we're not getting any we're not getting wins. We've had two wins in 14 and people can frame two wins in four like they did as much as I want, two wins in five. It's not it's two wins in fourteen. Yeah, I'm 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 as negative and as down as I've been all season. And and, and the reason for that is it's not just the things that both of you have touched on there, which are which are both absolutely correct. It's the fact that we'll, we've played a team tonight. You know, I, I I heard of the Man United result against Sheffield United a few weeks ago, and you think, how can that happen? Albeit we made Sheffield United look a, a very, very good side, and they're not. Um, and then you see that performance from Manchester United tonight, and, and I, I genuinely don't think in the first half any other Premier League team would have would have not been ahead at half time. That's how bad Man United were. I mean, get, like gifting us the ball. In the box, in attacking positions, De Gea all over the shop. Man United's back four, the two centre backs, shocking. And then you've got half time, and you've got the pundits, you've got a lot of Newcastle fans, a lot of journalists saying that was much better. That was this, that was that. And I think you know what the difference is between this and Chelsea. We ran around a bit. We ran around a bit more. And it's like I get it, and and people are correct. People were correct that it was an improvement, and you know it was one one at half time. That is an improvement. But we'll literally just run around a bit more. And and the concerning thing for me, I want to get into Bruce's comments straight after I've finished making this point. But the concerning thing for me is that we'll play this 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 formation, which is apparently seen as turn a corner. You know, three defeats in the five games, turning that corner, including defeats a defeat against Palace. Um, teams have worked it out. We're playing, you know, Joe Linton, who we'll talk about later. Where where he's playing, you know, a pure right winger. I don't know. We'll get into it later. But you know, the fullbacks and Emil Kraft in particular, but both fullbacks, absolutely hammered against Chelsea. Absolutely hammered. What happened? Where did the goals come from tonight? Do you know what I mean? The two goals from open play. Where? Who, who was at fault both times? I know there's a couple of players at fault, but the fullbacks. And not only do we not react to it. It's the fact that the same things happen again, and yet, yet, yet stuff is is talk, terms like improvement, terms like turn the corner. We haven't turned the corner. When we play Wolves next week, if we play the same formation, we will concede a goal through the fullback channels, and we can blame Emil Kraft all we want for not being good enough. He's not good enough, but you know, Marcus Ra- Marcus Rashford will beat Emil Kraft. Emil Kraft knows it. Steve Bruce knows it. I know it. You know it. He will beat him, and it's what concerns me more than that is the lack of reaction from his teammates, the lack of reaction from the manager. Someone's got to say, whenever Marcus Rashford is up against Emil, someone's got to double up. How many times did Alison Maximum get one-on-one tonight with a Man United fullback? Didn't happen. Didn't happen. Why doesn't it happen? Because obviously the other team recognised him as a threat and said that to Daniel James, you have to double up. Doesn't matter if you get beaten. If you get beaten, James, the lad behind you will sweep up. And that's what's happened. And... These are these are the little things. These are the things that any football manager at any level, at any club, in the professional game, in any league, in any country, would deal with, and we're not doing it, Charlotte. Yeah, I'm going to counter you slightly, um, because we did run around a bit more, and that is 
you know, one of the reasons I think people said we were better. But to me, particularly in the first half, I think sort of the final third of the game was a write-off. It was entirely played in our half. It was just terrible. Um, particularly in the first half when people, you know, at halftime were saying that's better. I don't think it was just that we were running around a bit more. I think, I think there was a bit more in defence. It obviously went... It did fall apart, so I, I don't know why I'm trying to defend it, but but I think you know Kraft is terrible, but but I think there was some identification that he was going to be taught he was you know going to be up against Marcus Rashford, and he did have some support. Like the first few challenges that he got when it was one on one with him and Marcus Rashford, there was a bit more United support around him. Um, so it wasn't to me just that we were you know, covering more ground, although I think that probably was a big part of it. I'm just trying to be a little bit more fair. <laughs> Norman? Well, quickly after that, Charlotte, and I um, admire your optimism greatly, and thank you for trying to frame it better. You, 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 are, you, are, you, are, you are right in that there were aspects of the first half performance that were okay, but I think, again, for me, I, I can't look at these games individually anymore because it's been it's been bad over the kind of last 14 games that it's impossible that for me it's impossible to accept that we played okay for a half because it it doesn't matter anymore we're just yeah. losing games um so re- regards of the sporadic 20 minutes against crystal palace where we were good or the half row against leeds where we were good the mighty turning of the corner 2021 it's all insignificant because we're just incapable of picking up points if we're playing if we're supposedly playing well and still not picking up points, that's really disturbing and worrying, isn't it? And I think one of the big things I noticed, and this possibly alludes into the fact that Kraft was going to get done every time, and you saying early on, Charlotte, that he was getting a bit more support, and you're right, but it's the lack of leadership on the pitch. There's nothing coming from the sidelines, right? We know that. But, but there's absolutely zero leadership on the pitch. Those players, to me, look like there isn't someone on the... They look like they haven't got anyone there who was a a focal point in the leader. Wilson, to a certain extent, offered that. But I'm talking about a captain. And when you're in these relegation battles, you need a captain and a leader on the pitch. And we just do not have that. And a game like tonight, where we concede the second goal after 57 minutes, at that particular point, when you're in a relegation battle and you need someone driving you, you need someone getting the lads to get their heads up, you need someone giving a bit of leadership, that's, that's where you need it. And that 57 minute, the second goal goes in. And again, this ties into the relative lack of leadership on the pitch since Bruce took over. Um, 32 games, Newcastle have gone behind on a Steve Bruce, and he's 63. 32, right? So you're looking at what? Is that, that's over 50%, isn't it? Um, 13 points gained from those 32 games. 13 points gained from a possible, let me get this right, 99, is that? 96 or 99? 96. 96. Right? 13 points from 96 when, we, when we've um, gone behind. And, uh, you know, if someone checks that and I'm wrong, then I'll me answer, but um, I'm pretty certain that's what it is. And that, to me, suggests a serious lack of leadership on every level. And I think we saw that again tonight. Yeah, I want to throw you after you, Charlotte. Sorry. I, I just wanted to say, I guess, just to corroborate that with, like, yeah, as I'm saying it, you know, eking out these, like, minor positives, I am like, what is the point here? The bigger picture is terrible. I want to touch on a point you made there, Norman, about and you as well, Charlotte, about that first half of that first hour. And Steve Bruce, we're gonna because we are recording this straight after the game, touch on one of his comments in the post in the press conference. I think to the to the press lads, 
Uh, of course, they're anxious. I think it's fans. But I'm quietly confident if we perform like we did in the first hour, we will be fine. And that alludes to what you said, Norman. Why can't we Why can't we play well for a game? Why is it 25 minutes against Leeds? Why is it the first 15 against Palace? Why was it the kind of first 20 against Southampton? Why was, according to Bruce, the second half against Chelsea? Like, this is a bloke who's 63, 63 games into his NUFC career. We're in a relegation battle. It's very worrying that we'll play okay, according to some, for the first 60 minutes. Like you say, Norman, it isn't normal to just to just, to just shake hands at 2-1. After 57 minutes, just say, oh, well, they scored, so so that's us, that's us, we're done, That the game is over. And if you look at the substitutions, in fact, I'll, I'll leave this one to you, Norman, because you, you did say you want to raise it. It's almost like... The, the towel is literally thrown in and say, oh, well, next goal wins. So if they get the next goal, what can we do? What could me, Steve Bruce, what could I possibly do to affect this impossible situation? And it's not just Bruce, it's the players as well. The, the game was over. I didn't really watch the last 20 minutes of that game. It was over as a contest against a Man United team that phoned it in, did not turn up tonight. I think most, you, you saw Man United go to West Brom last week and West Brom give them a game. Past 60 minutes tonight, just like against Chelsea and just like against so many other teams this season, it wasn't a competitive game of football, Norman, and you, you want to talk about the substitutions in particular. Aye, so we are 3-1 down, but there's still, what, 15 minutes on the clock and injury time, so you're looking at four or five minutes. So maybe like, let's just say roughly 20 minutes, right? And he's taken off both Sam Maximan and Almiron. Now, Right. Are they injured? Maybe maybe they're carrying niggles. I don't know. Are they? Um, I didn't th- they didn't look like players who were struggling with injuries as they were leaving the pitch. So my only way of looking at that, right, is that basically um he just decided, well, that was it. That that was it. Like the well, not, not like so. So, so Max and Almer are our best players, right? They were, they were, they were most attacking threat on the pitch. They were best players. Simple as that, right? So at three-one down, Almeron, um Maximan goes off at about 15, 20 minutes ago. Almeron goes off for like what sort of 10, 10 to thirteen minutes again, if you include injury time. Two-goal deficit. Like many teams have tried to come back from a two-goal deficit right up until the final whistle, but that to me suggested like you know what we've lost this game now, so I may as well take these two lads off. Keep them fresh for Wolves. You know, not that it would make any difference because, you know, it's not like Wolves is going to be like a walkover. Oh, it's money with it, lads. We're 3-1 doom. We're 15, 20 minutes again. Doesn't matter. Get Maxi off. Get Lamiron off. Keep them fresh for Wolves. We're going to batter Wolves and he bother. That's just not how it works. So, to me, it very much smacked of Bruce. Just, he just gave up. Just giving up. And, and let's look. If subsequently it comes out that they're both carrying niggles, I'll hold my hands up. But... Having watched Newcastle under Steve Bruce for 63 league games now, I genuinely don't believe that's the case. I genuinely believe that that was it. 3-1 down, 10 to 15 minutes left. We're done. We're absolutely done, so there's an eight point. And that is just, I mean, that's abysmal, right? Not good enough. And and I think the bloke is, is a loser. He is comfortable with losing. He's almost, he's made a career out of 28% win record in the Premier League. He's made a career and a very... Um, rewarding financially one at that Charlotte do you think what Norman's talking about there was possibly reflected in the, the images that are doing the rounds on social media which have enraged fans um, with his post-match conduct yes so if you haven't seen this I watched it live 
with my dad who was um shouting expletives at the tv um Steve Bruce you know game finish you 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 expect a sort of a frown a shaking of Solskjaer's hand I never say that right Solskjaer's hand um and and uh, down the tunnel to sort of you know lick his wounds think about things how can we make this better that's what you kind of hope for some humility some um some kind of acknowledgement of the gravity of this situation because we are about to be relegated and um and instead what happened was he went over to his buddy ole and was having a laugh and a chat and the cameras were just tracking him and he he, he he cannot be so thick that he didn't know the cameras were there and he and and, and if they don't have a little red light that says that on at that moment you have to assume that they're they're recording something for for some time at least and they were there and they were recording him like you know walking along chatting away to his buddy literally seconds after we've been beaten three goals to one i just i i i'm really annoyed about it like my overwhelming feeling this evening is sadness like i was watching us and i felt like crying and i you know i, I was sad but it is fucking um disrespectful to me to to see him do that to to see him having a right little giggle in it oh wasn't that fun that was a good one ole like oh that's nice i wonder what they were talking about like i just I, I can't get my head around it. I think it's it's rude and it's and it's infuriating. I've lost my words. I agree with you wholeheartedly, and and without trying to get, and I, I shouldn't even have to say this. Um, I was going to say without trying to get hyperbolic in, in terms of the comparisons, but you know what? Fuck it. The blokes, the bloke is, you know. <laughs> The bloke is in charge of, in my opinion, one of the biggest football clubs in the Premier League, one of the biggest football clubs in Europe based on potential and support. It, it, you compare him to Rafa Benitez. When Rafa Benitez lost a game, was that ever the reaction? Was that ever the reaction? When Sir Alex Ferguson lost a game, was that ever the reaction? When Jose Mourinho now loses a game, David Moyes, do you see David Moyes laughing on after a defeat? And it, it goes back to McLaren when he was near the end of his tenure and it wound up fans then and it just it just to me screams of like uh, you know even if if me here and you Charlotte and Norman if you agree with me and Charlotte if we're out of order if we're wrong and, and all the fans if we're wrong if if that you know this highly pressurized environment in which he works and that's the best way of dealing it whatever even if that's true the optics of it are terrible and it it just screams of a man who just doesn't give a shit about what people think he doesn't care about supporter relationships he doesn't care about about how people would perceive that behaviour. He just doesn't care. He doesn't think about it, which is just as bad, or he does think about it and actively just doesn't care. And if you read his post-match comments as well, saying he's quietly confident that we'll stay up, he's quietly confident, and, he, and we'll have to hope we'll reach that magic point total, whatever that point total might be. These aren't the words of a highly meticulous professional man in his field. The works of the words of a bloke who doesn't really have a clue what he's doing at this level anymore. He's brought in a, a coach or had a coach forcing him, whichever way you want to 
look at it, even if we assume, because Luke Edwards was on the show a couple of weeks ago and told us that it was definitely Bruce's choice, fair enough. They've brought in a coach, completely changed and ripped up the way Bruce wanted to play in terms of formation, and it's it's still not working. And at the end of that, he isn't deep in thought about what went wrong or the opportunity, the great opportunity I feel the team had tonight to take something from the game. He's laughing along with his mate about about who fuck knows what, Norman. I've always found the... um... Someone admitting they're quietly confident, an interesting one, because if you're quietly confident, then would you say you're confident, which is what you're doing, right? To the um, press. There you go. Yeah. Uh, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm confident, full stop, because you're seeing it. But anyways, I digress on us slightly. Um, I just wanted to quickly say that I think as well, when you see Bruce after matches or on the sidelines and there's all this kind of palliness with other managers, and, you know, he seems to be reasonably well liked by a lot of people in football, right? ex-pros, other managers. And that, to me, ties into the fact that he's a kind of perennial loser. Like, Oli Gunasalski, of course, he's going to be pally with him because he's going to get three points from him. Like, everyone, you're always going to, you're not going to be annoyed with someone who is basically challenging you in any way. You know, somebody who's actually giving you a good, like, a good, well, a good thrashing, hello. Um, and somebody who's, um, you know, <laughs> defeating you on a regular basis. Like, if Newcastle had gone to Old Trafford, and basically, you know, sent my new for the papers and come away with a three-one win, right? Would Solskjaer be walking off the pitch laughing with Bruce? Not like when you see these managers two or three minutes after the game's interviewed and absolutely furious. Like the last thing they want to do is go and get pally with the manager who's just beaten them. You know, like it's it's almost like a case of mate. You know what? If you just turn around to Ollie and said, "Ollie, mate, we've just lost three-one. We're in a relegation battle. I'll see you in a bit, mate. I'm just furious, yeah." And you yeah. walk. It's like, that's, that's like fair. But to go, and I'm like, look, we don't know what was in it, right? I mean, you know, Solskjaer might have just tickled him a little bit without him even knowing. So you know, anything could have happened. But um, it, it does, it, it does wind fans up when you're, you're furious, dejected, upset, whatever it is. And then your manager is walking off when you've just lost your, what, 13th game in 16 or what is it? 12th and 16. And you're walking off the pitch laughing with the manager of a club that you spent the best part of your career with. It is slightly grating. Yeah, it is. It is very. It is very great, and it's uh, it's it, it's really winding me up. And this this whole there's six or seven teams in it, which he he did in the pre-match press conference. Where I'd expect someone in the club to pull him up and say, "Steve Wolves aren't in a relegation battle. They're eleven points clear of Fulham and have a game in hand. They're not going to get relegated." You know, he's he's repeated it tonight, and you go as far as Burnley, who are fucking terrible, by the way, with three points ahead of us. Um, you know, but Fulham aren't going to catch Burnley in uh, six points off them. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's not, that's not going to happen. We're, it's us and potentially Brighton. But as the commentator said tonight, Newcastle have lost, have lost 15 Premier League games this season, which is an astonishing, astonishing number. Newcastle have lost um, 12 of the last 16 games in the Premier League. It's a, you know, th- this this whole confidence thing, this, where, where does it come from? What's it based on? What, you know, we've lost 12 of the last 16 games. How on earth could you be confident of anything else but defeat? And Bruce says he doesn't, Bruce says he doesn't even know what the magic points total is. I don't know, Steve, how about we get to 40 points? What would we need to do that? Four wins and a couple of draws? 
it, it shouldn't be, you know, Bruce is talking about it like it's some sort of, we'll have to wait and see, we'll have to hope for the best. You can't be both confident and hopeful that we might win four out of our last four or 13 now Premier League games. He just says things, that they're just that they're words in his head that come out in a particular order. And we said this on your show on Friday, Charlotte. Like, I think I don't even think you'll remember what he said tonight. Tomorrow morning, I don't, I don't even think if someone said, "Oh, what did you say after the after the Manu defeat?" He wouldn't, he wouldn't be able to tell you. He just said, "Well, probably that would stay up." Can I can I add that he also said that a big turning point in the match tonight was the loss of Big Joe. Um, <laughs> he he genuinely has said that this evening. He said. Um, the big turning point was lost, Big Joe. We were already without our main centre forward, so we hope it's not too serious. Did he call him Big Joe? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think so. Unless someone on our, who's posting that on our Twitter is taking the piss, but I, I mean, even if they are, it's believable. So, can we talk about Big Joe? Um, <laughs> I know I'm the host, so I'm going to decide we're going to talk about him. But I am convinced. Right, I'm convinced either you two or other members of the True Faith group have created a series of like false Stan accounts on Twitter to <laughs> mean positive things to wind me up about Joe Linton through the game. I kid you not. And and, and if there's people listening to this, I don't. I'm not trying to dig anyone out. We all we all have an opinion about f- football, and I'm wrong as much as anyone. So I kid you not. Someone. <laughs> Someone, t- I thought it was ridiculous to start with Joe Linton, who was the worst player in the league, comfortably in any position. Um, is three goals and over fifty Premier League appearances as as forget about a striker as an attacking player um, would would in my humble opinion, you know, prove that point. A lad, a lad tweeted me saying, "Oh, you know," I said he should have started Gale as a striker, and he said, "Oh, Gale, blah blah blah." And I said, For, "Even if you don't like Gale, I said Joe Linton is rubbish." He's rubbish. And this person tweeted me back, and I don't know which one of you it was, but it worked in, in enraging me, said, he's holding the shape well. He's holding the shape well. So this season I've had, he carries the ball well. He often gets the pass before the key pass, and now he's holding the shape well. The the small fan club that he has will, assuming it's not one of you two who's done this in preparation for this podcast, Will literally think of anything to say he had a good game. Is there anyone out there tonight apart from one pass to Emil Kraft, which you could argue, and I'm being a bit silly now, you could argue is is a negative thing to do to the team that passed to Kraft. Um, right? What on earth did he do well? And, I, and, and it's not just Julian. Julian is not the reason we lost this game tonight. He's not the reason we've lost games in the past. But but how could Steve Bruce? And this is the thing, Norman. I'm keen to get your thoughts on this because we're talk tactics a little bit pre pre recording. What the hell is that position? Are we are we playing these games five five zero? Is there no striker playing? Because if Joe Linton is a striker, which he's not, did he did he go to the penalty area tonight? I'm not sure he did. Um, but if Joe Linton is, is playing as the striker, as Bruce seems to have said from Charlotte's um, reading out of his quote there, then finally he's put Joe Linton ahead of Gale. He hasn't got in the box, which is a worry. But if he's a right winger, why is Ryan Fraser not playing ahead of him? Why is frigging Christian Atsu? Not playing ahead of him. He's, Joe Linton is is, is 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 many things. He's not a right winger. What's going on, Norman? A couple of points. The first one I'll make is, is slightly unrelated to that, but it's, you mentioned Ryan Fraser. There. One of Bruce's reasons for us going into bad form um, at the start of the year was, or this season really, was because he's never had a chance to play Fraser and Alan Maxman together. Um, 
and he seems to have forgot that that was one of his tactics that he had in the bag. So happy days there. Um, Joe Linton tonight. Joe Linton was bought for forty million pounds, given the number nine shirt, and he was bought as a centre forward. Tonight he was played on what I think was supposed to be right wing, but it ended up being a kind of a mashup of centre midfield, right midfield, and with a Latin fullback. That's what it looked like. But <laughs> the reality is tonight we played tonight with basically three wingers as forwards. Does that mean, is that is that what it is? Three wingers as forwards, but at the same time they weren't really forwards because they were still playing on the wing. Um, it, it's almost like, what, were we playing three false nines? Was it three false tens? I mean, there, there was no, there was no, there was no shape there. There was no direction. But in, in the change room before the game, I'd like to know, like on the you know, the tactics board they've got out, right? I'd like to know what I'd love to know what the the instruction was in terms of right, Mickey, ASM, Joe Linton. One of will one of them told that were playing up front? Because to me, I'm, I'm not getting the impression that any of them are told that they were actually playing up front. To me, it looked like as if they have a tactics board, Charlie. Yes, it, it, it looked to me as if Julian was on the right, ESM on the left, and Almy Rom was kind of in a, in a withdrawn role, what you would call, I guess, a, to a certain extent, a false name, but no, no, and a, a, a traditional number ten. And Miggy was, Miggy was. Oh, there's a positive. Miggy was excellent. Miggy was drifting all around the pitch. So I, we, we didn't, we didn't play with a centre forward, and which is spectacular, by the way. Um, probably quite unprecedented in, in modern Premier League history. So it's another tactical first for Brucey. Well done, mate. Um, the other thing I would say is, Joe Linton, this ties into the kind of logic that dictates things at the club at the moment. So Bruce focuses on minuscule positives, and that's supposed to be... Like, these minuscule positives are huge. It's like, well, we've turned a corner, everything's going to be fine, We'll play, we'll play well for 20 minutes against Leeds. Had one good game against Everton, right? But, but this is huge. It's the same narrative that's impacting on the fan base. Like, Joe Linton doesn't play absolutely abysmally for 10 minutes of a game. And all of a sudden, Joe Linton's having a really good game. He's turned the corner. It's it, it's it's on the same scale. Like, our expectations have been so battered over the last 18, 19, 20 months. I mean, you could argue the whole last year, but it, the expectations are so low that if somebody does something that isn't absolutely shocking then it's good. It's not just okay, it's it's good because it's not really bad. That's that's how I interpret it because Julian, to, for me tonight, was a complete passenger. Yeah, I mean, I've seen comments on Twitter, Alex, I don't know if they're... I've seen somebody commented to me saying there's lots of reasons to criticise Steve Bruce, but um, laughing with his old teammate isn't one of them. Well, it is. It is. <laughs> I'm not, we're not going to go back into that, but he, the same person had also... We're getting relegated, like, man. We're getting relegated. This person, I don't know who they are. Like we're, we're literally getting relegated. Well, the same person tweeted on their own timeline. It wasn't at me, but I've just had a little look, and 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 they said um, maybe a coincidence, but nothing's happened on the pitch since Joe Linton came off. <laughs> and and I I struggle so much to agree for a start, and then oh my god, it's just. I agree with you, Norman. Though it's this total recalibration of what's good and what's not when if, when when watching our football team. Like objectively, nobody watching tonight's performance could have been like that. Was that was brilliant? Like it it it's being praised because it's not as shite as normal. Mediocre is the new good, right? Me- mediocre is the new good. That's that's the truth of it. Um, because some of the performances have been so spectacularly shocking for such a for such a sustained period of time that 
the miserable performances become the normality, right? That's your normal, right? So any deviation from that, so and from from miserable to mediocre to okay, becomes spectacular. Evan, we case in point. Ah, basically had a heart murmur because I was that excited about the performance we had Everton. But you know what? On reflection, it was just an RE performance. Ultimately, that, that's the truth of it. So even, even my, my expectations are mangled because we win a game. We win a game and it's like, oh, we were brilliant. We were brilliant. It's like, well, were we really though? You know what I mean? It's, we just won a game quite convincingly. Um, so it, it's everything. Everything has shifted. We're so yeah. used to being bad. It's so miserable for so long that any deviation from that is seen as way beyond what it actually is. And then the next week, it's back to default of miserable, isn't it? I'd like to talk about John Shelby speaking of miserable. And and I think this, I'd be really keen to get your view on this, Charlotte, and Norman, of course, is that Bruce relentlessly earlier in the season, and particularly the start of this bad run, talks about not being able to get his best team out on the pitch. And I think a lot of fans, and I, myself included, have always just assumed that a 4-2-3-1 with... Um, the best goalkeeper in goal, the best two centre-backs, Mankiw and Dummett maybe, or or the current left-back, depending on your point of view. And I think more and more people are calling for Paul Dummett because we're so vulnerable at full-back. Um, two centre-midfielders, maybe John Drew and, and, and Hayden, and now Willock's come in, so maybe Willock and Hayden. The three attacking midfielders who are all, in my opinion, very capable have shown even Ryan the Ryan Fraser hasn't done much in Newcastle. He's shown in the, the limited opportunities he's had, he's very capable behind Callum Wilson or another striker. Yet we seem to have deviated to this again. I'll say it again: the diamond formation has been worked out by other teams. Maybe we'll go in against Wolves and maybe we'll win the game. I don't think so, but maybe we'll do. It's not outside the realms of possibility. However, if if your if your um, Wolves' manager, whose name escapes me, you just the game plan is set: get the ball out wide. Overloading the fullback positions. Um, get player Dama Traore. Is it Neto who plays on the other side? You will have joy against those fullbacks. Get men in the box, we'll score goals. The frustrating thing for me is even if we're going to continue and persist with this system, which I don't think we should, he needs to start picking the right team. Why is John, John Joe Shelby in this system? What was expected of John Joe Shelby tonight more than what we saw against Chelsea on Monday? What what realistically did the manager and the coach and staff think that we're going to get out of John Drew tonight that they didn't see on Monday? Now, look at the fact that um, Willock has basically been asked to play as a wide midfielder when he's not. He's a central player. Um, look at the fact that being, you know, we've talked about the, the Joe Linton thing and, you know, that right forward position. Look at the fact Matty Longstaff, and I've had the, forget about the Joe Linton fan club. The anti Matty Longstaff fan club can do one for me. People tweet me tonight, and I put out a tweet saying Matty Longstaff for all for whatever you think of him, he gets in players' faces. He's he's fit. He gets around the pitch. He has quality on the ball. He's a young player, so he can improve from each performance. Um, and I've got people telling me Matty Longstaff's not a good player. Didn't do really well when he came in earlier this season. Although Matty Longstaff was scandalously dropped in for the hardest game of the season after no football at all um, at Man City away, was kept in for Man City, Liverpool, Leicester and Arsenal and has been fucked off since and not been seen since. Scandalous way to treat any player, never mind a young player. But ignoring that for the minute, objectively, John Joe Shelby is, 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 is offering nothing in this formation. I cannot understand why he's still playing. So I don't know whether either of you want to talk about that and also I'll answer your answer 
surely the goalkeeping situation is now settled. I don't know who wants to go. Yeah, I, I'm going to just jump in. Um, look, I've got no idea why John Joe Shelby keeps getting picked. Um, he's slow. He doesn't create anything. There were a couple of times this evening when Miggy had the ball right at the side and there was just, and it's not just Shelby because there's, you know, nine other players on the pitch that could have moved up the pitch, but there's nobody there. And you you see Shelby and there's no urgency to his play. There's no, he's just, he's just kicking about the centre of the pitch, like doing nothing. Um, he doesn't, he's not a creative player anymore. I know that there are people who hark back to John Joe Shelby on a good day. Well, when are we going to get one of those good days? I haven't seen one for a very, very long time. Um, and you can't just rest on that anymore, I don't think. I don't know if Steve Bruce is one of those people. Like, well, John Joe on his good days could do this, so we'll put him in. Maybe that's why. It's, it's not a very, it's not a very forward thinking way of thinking. It's not a very, um, creative solution so that leads me to believe that Steve Bruce probably does think like that because it's not a very sort of inventive way of thinking um Willock to his credit does do well in that out wide position but clearly you know if he's doing if he's working really hard and doing well there imagine what how well he might do if he was in a position he actually normally plays in or likes to play in that would be brilliant to see why don't we give him a chance I think I have long been tired of John Joe Shelby's antics on the pitch, or lack of them, even. I mean, even even just these like mad long balls or mad shots on goal, like you know, you, you scored them two or three years ago. Every now and then, you're not scoring them now. Just stop it! Like you, you it's uh, anyway. I get frustrated about him very much. I can't answer your question as to why he's getting games because I don't know. I, I honestly, I can't see a single reason apart from that like maybe on a good day um norman did you want to jump in on shelby before we talk about the keepers just quickly shelby's getting games because he's one of bruce's favorites it's as simple as that and that's how it works unless see bruce right um and as you say charlotte bruce probably still sees or thinks of shelby as the player who has on occasion performed very well but that is that is no longer the case. The, the way I look at it now is that Shelby, right? Shelby's next move when he leaves Newcastle won't be to a Premier League club above Newcastle on the table. I mean, we may be, we, we may be in the Championship by then. He might do a good job for a, he might possibly do a good job for a promoted side. But I'm going to say that Shelby may well end up at a, a decent Championship team once he finishes at Newcastle. So that's indicative of, to me of where he's, his career is heading. And you mentioned in the long shots there, it's really interesting because the commentators tonight, who by the way. Genas and Darren Fletcher were so appallingly bad in the patter. Um, the, the kind of Steve Bruce loving, the constant praise for Newcastle is so inaccurate and, and not based on any kind of reality. And it applied to what they said about Shelby. Um, he had one of these shots, like you say. Ball came out and we scudded it over the bar. And the commentator said, if, if there's one person you wanted to fall to, it's John Joe Shelby. It's like, what are you business on? What, 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 are, you, what, like, what, what are you basing this on? If, maybe if, if, if you're a Man U fan, you wanted to fall to John Joe Shelby. <laughs> You know, it's 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 like this this distorted reality that that we as fans who who watch every single minute of every single game, we see the reality, but that's not how it's kind of playing out. Um, right, you're right, and Shelby is. Look, do you want John Joe Shelby in a relegation battle? Not really. Look, he came in on a McLaren when we were in a relegation battle. 
he did okay for a couple of games. We saw his debut, he was the best player on the pitch by a mile. But the last 10 games of the season, Rafa barely touched him. And he played him in the Championship and then he barely touched him in the Premier League again, his second second season. There's a reason for that, you know what I mean? Um, and quickly on on Dubravka, um, I'm going to steal your thunder here, Sherlock, because I know you're desperate to talk about him. So I'm just going to say everything, hopefully, that you want to say, obviously. Um, yeah, he's, he has to be in the side. Look, Dolo has been brilliant whilst Dubravka was injured. Since Dubravka has been fit, Dolo's performances have wobbled. And the reality is that, look, it doesn't matter how many saves you are making on the liner in the six-yard box, right? You need to command the whole area. Dolo doesn't command the whole area. He never has. It's never been his game. He's not a vocal presence. He doesn't organise a defence. Dubravka does all that. Dubravka is, to be perfectly honest with you, if Dubravka had been playing tonight, for me, he, he probably would have been the captain. I know the cells is on the pitch, but the cells just look so withdrawn. It's incredible. Um, but Dubravka needs to be in goal. If we're, we're in a relegation battle, we need to put out the players on the pitch who are going to be them, what we need what we need right now. And, and Dubravka is one of them. Like, and, and this isn't a criticism of Dalu. It's just saying that Dubravka is a better goalkeeper. And at the minute... We need a better goalkeeper in. That's that's my opinion in any way. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. And we've said it for games now that um, Dolo has been wobbly, like you say, Norman. His distribution's not brilliant. You know, I don't want to take away from how excellently he has done and he has been integral to our season. And we're really lucky that when Dubravka got injured, we had someone like Darlow. I didn't have faith that he would be this good. And he has been and he's, and he's you know, surpassed my expectations. And I hold my hands up about that. But at this stage, Dubravka should have been back in this side several games ago. And um, one of our friends, Henry Woodcock, who is a goalkeeper himself, and he, I think he trains goalkeepers. He was chatting to me on Twitter during the game, and he said it's such a shame now because Dubravka probably will come back, but instead of instead of resting Darlow at a, a, a really high point in his career, it's it's at this point where people are calling for him to be taken off. Or it's at this point where he's you know he's he's publicly. I think Alex before we record press record tonight. I think Steve Bruce has publicly said in his post match comments about. The keeper, which is just horrible, considering how well he has done. That's that's a private conversation. He, he probably hasn't even gone in and said to Darlo, like, okay, you know, let, let's. He's just gone to the BT Sport cameras and said, probably gonna have to look at that. Like, oh my god, I would be so pissed off if I was him. That doesn't matter. Um, I think Dubravka is a better keeper. I The reason I love Dubravka so much is, I, I can't remember which game it was, but I was sitting, it was at St. James Park, and I was in the East Stand, and I was sitting quite close to the um, the goal and quite, you know, obviously where he was for half, half match. And, and you could just hear him shouting and hear him, like, organising that back line and, 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 and making calls and, and moving people about and for what he needed. And... And and you absolutely right, Norman. I just yeah, really missed that. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up because I really wanted to talk about these quotes, and it, it brings us back to what we we're talking about earlier in the show. But I think it's worth touching again. Um, it's kind of Bruce's in denial of reality almost. So Bruce says, "We'll have a look at the goalkeeper. He will be disappointed to be beaten at the near post for the first goal." So, like you correctly say, when he says, "We'll have a look at the goalkeeper," that means we're going to drop him. For the next game, I think it's a scandalous thing to say. I think I think Carl Dollar has won us points this season. 
Um, and, and you can be a good goalkeeper and you can play very well. Rarely do you win a side points, particularly at the bottom of the league. I think Darlow is, is probably worth about five points off the top of my head this season. Um, but but it's this, it's this like coming out after the game. And yeah, you can talk about the goalkeeper and you can talk about mistakes, whatever. But the idea in a post-mass post press conference, he's saying, um, quietly confident, he's saying there's six or seven teams in it. He's saying, we'll look at the goalkeeper. None of it's about him. None of it's about him. Not, there's no responsibility there. There isn't an, there isn't a kind. And I'm not saying a manager would come out and, and say, you know, I haven't been good enough or anything. But you, but it has happened in the past where managers lose games and say, I take responsibility for this. When has Bruce ever come out after a game and said, I take responsibility for this? Because I don't think he's Didn't ever he said something close to that once. I think there were because I think I remember being surprised, or maybe it was it wasn't good enough, and I was surprised at that. Anyway, but this is this is it feeds into this narrative in which we're fed, and it's not just that Bruce talks a load of shite, which he does. It's like you say, Norman, that permeates into the commentary, into the analysis. What Bruce says goes, doesn't it? And this idea that we're playing better and we've turned a corner, we haven't. We've continued to sink in the table. We've continued to lose the ten point cushion we had to, you know, I think after Everton to make it into a three point cushion. There's six or seven teams, and even if that was true. Steve, none of the none of the other teams are seventeenth. None of the other teams have won twelve, have, have lost twelve or sixteen. So you know th- this is all kind of deflection. It's all kind of it's not as bad as everyone's saying, and, and in fact, it's not just as bad as everyone's saying. It might even be a bit worse because this idea that we're going to turn it around, and, and I'll, I'll put it this way to you both: once again, we go in, into Wolves like we went into Southampton, in the knowledge that if we were to lose that game and lose it comfortably. It almost becomes an unmanageable situation. You, ca- you cannot lose that game. And this is the point. And it's it's Steve McLaren against Bournemouth. It's Steve McLaren against West Brom. If you think back to 2016, we lost 3 0 at Everton. Long time listeners of the podcast will remember um, uh, Fractures podcast as we drove back from Merseyside that night and Mickey fell down a hill, which was really funny, um, and covered himself in mud. Um, but anyway, I digress. We lost that game to Everton, and everyone was like, McLaren's got to beat West Brom. He has to beat West Brom. We cannot not win that game. And he won it, and all it did was buy him is, is waste a couple more games. And that's, that's where I feel we are now. We beat Southampton in a game I thought he simply couldn't lose. We beat Southampton, and it's just it bought Bruce these three games. And if we lose against Wolves, it's the exact same situation where McLaren was sacked those three games after that West Brom win. After that West Brom win, which was 25 games, Steve McLaren's Newcastle had amassed 24 points from those 25 games. Right now, Steve Bruce's Newcastle have amassed 25 points from 25 games. And thinking back at the time, I can't be certain because it was a little while ago. It was, what, five years ago now, four years ago now? Um, Not one pundit was sticking up for Steve McLaren. Not one journalist was saying Steve McLaren's Newcastle had turned the corner even though they'd won a couple of games. And we're in we're in the same position. History is repeating itself. Steve Bruce cannot lose that game against Wolves, or he's he's out of a job. I can't, I cannot see how he can remain in the job, particularly if Fulham get a result at Crystal Palace, which I think they will, considering the way things have been going. Norman, couldn't agree more. What I look at is the record that Steve Bruce has got at Newcastle. So, what's he said after the game tonight about these games being winnable? Can you can you repeat that comment back to me if you've got it there? It was a, there was a comment he made about um, we've got some winnable games coming up or something along those lines, right? Um, he 
said um you just said we we need we need to win a few games we have to get to that magical point mark whatever it is um i'm confident of course they're anxious i'm quietly confident if we perform like we did in the first hour we will be fine we have some games coming up that we can win Right. Well, in the first hour, we conceded two goals. All right. So regardless of how well we played, in the first hour, we did concede two goals. In Steve Bruce's 63 games in charge of Newcastle, in 44% of those matches, 28 games, we've conceded at least two goals. Right. So that's nearly half the games in which you've conceded two goals. So as winnable as Steve seems to think these games are between now and the end of the season, our record suggests to me that we are going to concede quite a few goals because that seems to be what we do. Right. And if you're conceding goals then you need to score to win those games more than the opposition. We don't do that very often. So I'm trying to work out where this... Like, look, Steve Bruce, of course, of course he's not going to go on camera and say, oh, we're done, I'm, I'm rubbish, we're done, right? But the people in the media should be throwing these questions at him. They should be throwing these statistics at him. When he's getting interviewed, saying, all right, Steve, fair enough, right? I totally understand, but being in mind, you've had 63 games so far and you've conceded two goals up, two goals or more than 28 games... What are you basing this confidence on? Bear in mind that you're saying you've turned a corner, but you've only won two of the six games in which you've apparently turned a corner. In what way is this turned a corner? What, like, where were you before you turned the corner? Because turning the corner, you're still in a pretty bad place. There's none, there's none of this critical analysis, and that's a frustrating thing. And you're bang on to bring up the McLaren point. It doesn't matter if we beat Wolves, right? We're not going to go on a, a winning streak and, and just pull away from the relegation zone like that. It's going to go down to the wire. It's quite, it's quite simple. And... Um, at the moment, very um, concerned that we are going to get relegated. Yeah, you see, I think I think after we beat Southampton, we might have been ten points ahead of Fulham, and Fulham had a couple of games in hand. And you know that this was only a few weeks ago; it's changed so quickly. And I genuinely don't have I don't have the confidence. Steve Bruce who's got a twenty-eight percent win record in the Premier League, who's got seven points in fourteen games, who's got thirteen points in thirty-two games that we've fallen behind in, and who has conceded two goals or more in twenty-eight of his sixty-three games. I can't take any confidence from that. I'm, so, I'm sorry, Edge, can I? I'm the same as you, mate. I'm sure, I'm sure Charlotte is too. That's it for tonight. 50 minutes we've done. I didn't think we'd do that much, but we have. And thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, there's loads more of this kind of stuff coming up this week on our Patreon platform. Norman's doing Prem Passer. Hopefully we'll be chatting to Keith Gillespie this week or Andy Griffin. Uh, we'll have a full preview of that massive Wolves game, and we'll also have the audio from Charlotte's lovely show, which is live on YouTube also on Friday, and much more. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, Charlotte and Norman, for your time. It's been a, a pleasure, and we'll be back on the True Faith live, well, not live, free podcast, what, next, a week today, next Sunday, with all of the analysis fallout from what is now simply, in my opinion, a must-win game for C. Bruce and his Newcastle United side. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.